0: Good morning, my name is Carolyn Hansen, and this morning we continue in Romans chapter 4. This is a section of Romans where it talks about Abraham being justified by faith. If you'd like to follow along today's scripture reading, now is the time to get your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. Romans 4. 13 through 25. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As is written, A father of many nations, I made you. In the presence of him who he he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God in being fully assured that what God had promised he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. This
1: is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. Good to see you all. Uh, We are going to be doing a baptism today. This is a baptismal tank for our purposes here to my left. And uh, <clears throat> there are times uh, when I am preparing uh, sermons that I feel um, an, ex- an extra measure uh, of satisfaction and sense that I'm doing my job. And uh, I experienced that this week as I was preparing this uh, passage. And, uh, you know, one of my core functions, I believe, if you really boil it down, uh, is to help you understand uh, and appreciate what a, uh, you know, a passage or a scripture scripture chunk is saying. And I really experienced that this week. In the beginning when I was studying this passage, I uh, thought about it, I studied it, and it just seemed like so many different convoluted pieces. But then the uh, theme began to emerge. And the theme that... Uh, I think is really the authorial intent of this passage is one of life, death, and resurrection. And you begin to see it now, just me saying that, if you look at the passage, it begins to read a little differently. So two things I want to do with you today. First, the promise. And second, the predictions. Okay? Promise and predictions. We'll begin with promise in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, Abraham uh, is a key figure in our story. What's going on here is God made the world. God is our creator. You and I have a designer. We are made in the image of God. And the reason God made us is so that God can love on us. This love-grace dynamic is the whole reason God created us, so that he can be loving toward us. And then we decide, and this is what's called a fall, we decided we wanted a little bit more control than that. We wanted a say in the matter. And so God, through Abraham, now is trying to return the world through to the original design and dynamic for which we were created. And this is the great promise of Scripture from the Old Testament all the way to the end of the new. The whole story, the whole deal is God wanting to create a new family, a new group of people who will trust him rather than try to control him. This is the promise of scripture. And God says, I will do this. I will not break my word. I will not lose my integrity. Whatever I say I'm going to do is as good as done. But underneath all of the other little promises God makes, this is the key promise. That God will love you at all costs, whatever it takes, he will love you. And it will not be because you are competent or because you're smart or you've earned it or you put God in your debt and now he has to do it. It's going to be by grace. And this is what scripture means when it says that Abraham and his descendants would be the heir of the world. This is going to be the way of the world. This is a great promise. Now, uh, to me, what's a little bit more interesting are the predictions that flow out of this promise. If God is going to do this, what does that mean for our world, for our lives? Okay, there's a few predictions here. We start with verse 14 to 16. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, Who is the Father of us all? Now, in those three verses that I just read for us, there is one key word I want you to focus on, and that word is the word wrath. This is a key word here because this is a prediction for your life. And here's the prediction. For the rest of your life, and you've already experienced this, for the rest of your life, there is going to be a raging war between your desire to have control and between God's insistence on grace. This is going to be one of the primary dynamics in how you experience your life. You are going to want more and more control, more and more say in the matter, and God is going to increasingly insist on grace. That is, God is going to judge our works because His desire is grace. God doesn't want you to earn your way in life. He doesn't want your life to be the sum of all of your efforts. He wants it to be based on grace. And you are going to have a war in you. One of the more uh, humorous but memorable ways that I remember this is through a a children's cartoon called The Simpsons. And uh, that is Homer Simpson. And this is one episode where they feature a character named Frank But this one episode has spawned uh, just thousands and thousands of uh, fan websites. And uh, it's become, there's sort of a cult following after this one episode. And I think part of it is because it just so resonates as true uh, to the human experience. And the basic story is Homer is an idiot and uh, he doesn't deserve anything that he has. He's totally messed up everything. He's dumb. He doesn't. He's not smart, and he's not savvy, and he's not somebody that's thoughtful or um, has perspective on life. He sort of is like an animal. He just lives life, but he has all these great things going for him. And then there's this character, Frank Grimes, who has lots, who has multiple degrees, and he's way overqualified for this job at the uh, factory. He applies for this job, and he gets, barely gets this job. And he starts, and, he, and then he meets Homer, who hasn't worked hard. And Frank... All he knows is hard work and he's been calculating and trying to do math and to make sure that his life happens exactly the way he planned Uh, and he feels a sense of entitlement and and just a a sense of that, that he's worked hard and life should be fair. But life isn't fair to Frank. Everything comes hard for Frank while everything comes easy for Homer. And uh, so Homer, in his obliviousness, invites Frank over for dinner to his house. And Frank has wanted to be married. He's looking for love, and uh, he's tried hard to, you know, have the good life. He doesn't have it. He rings Homer's doorbell, and this beautiful dolled up march, you know, his wife opens the door. And behind her are his little children, all combed and dressed and shiny, and, you know, teeth are sparkling, and they smell nice. And then he He's just confused by this whole scenario. How can Homer have such a perfect home? And then uh, he's led to the dining table, and there are three-pound lobsters for everybody, and, and Frank can't stand it. How is this possible? I'm the one that has worked hard. I'm the one that has the degrees. I'm the one who deserves this life that Homer has. And Homer is a bumbling idiot. It doesn't make sense, and he feels the wrath of God on him. Somehow he doesn't have the favor of God. Somehow life isn't on his side, and he doesn't get it. And if you are somebody that trusts in your works, if you believe you've worked hard and life owes you, that's going to be your story. You're going to be Frank Grimes. That's prediction number one. Prediction number two is more focused here on verse 16. For for this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. God will insist on faith and grace in your life rather than works. What this means for you is this. The sum of the parts will not equal the whole. You will look back on your life. Again, this is a prediction. You will look back on your life and lots of work that you've done will not bear fruit. All this effort you've made will not lead lead to something that's actually helpful for you. Another way to say that is activity and fruitfulness are different things. That you can be busy. You can spend money and time trying to ensure that your life goes a certain way. And it's not going to be so. It's not going to be math. Another way to say that is you can be in motion, but it doesn't mean there is action in your life. Our ability to predict the future, our ability to even know what actually makes us happy is very, very limited. You are a complex creature, and your story is beyond even your own understanding. The heart, who can understand it? Scripture asks. It is so deceitful. Your life will not be math. And then the third prediction is verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now, as good as dead. Since he was about a 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. This is a pretty depressing verse, isn't it? Here's Abraham. He was wealthy beyond all of us. He was so wealthy that he had his own personal army. His wife was so beautiful that Pharaoh coveted after his wife. She was more beautiful than all the women in the land. And back in the day, that was a big deal to have a wife like that. He had wealth. He had beauty, he had means, he had resources, he had God on his side. And yet Abraham longed to have the one thing that he did not have. That's our heir. Somebody from his own body, a son. And it broke him. It broke him. He would give everything in exchange for this. And so here is the third prediction. Ready? You will be broken. You will be broken again and again and again. You will work, you will put in the time, you will make a plan, you will execute, and then it's going to break you. You're going to be confused, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be surprised, you're going to feel hopeless. And then when you're down, you're going to begin to look up. And there's going to be God saying, was your life supposed to be the sum of your works? Is your heart not mine? Is not your story mine too, right? Since when are you the Lord? Since when were things supposed to go your way? Was that ever in our contract? Did we sign something? Why are you surprised? I'm not surprised. This is exactly what was supposed to happen. You're going to take on life. You're going to assume things about your own competence, and then you're going to hit the wall. Again and again and again. And you're going to be broken so that I can make you. Because you're mine. You're my child. And it is my job to shape you, to rear you, to love on you. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Isn't that what a good father does? He disciplines his children even to the point of shedding blood. That's what Hebrew says. Isn't that his job? He would not be loving if it were not so. You will be broken again and again and again. You think about your life. Have you been able to predict it so far? Your life as you know it is as good as dead. Your life as you know it is like Sarah's womb, unfruitful, powerless, useless on its own. Fourth prediction, verse 22. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. You gotta love this word, credited. Not because Abraham had the credit, not because he was wealthy spiritually, but God simply said, based on your trust in me, I credit you. I declare you righteous. You are that which you did not work for. And so here is the prediction. Ready? Serendipity. Will be the driving force in your life. Luck. Grace. Things you don't deserve. Now this is true. Even in the secular world. What drives our world forward, whether it's discovering penicillin or an organization becoming a great organization or somebody being able to accomplish something great in their life. You read the stories in detail, and you will discover and they will confess that it really wasn't their work, their competence, but it was luck. It was factors beyond their control. Serendipity the driving force. I have three examples of this. Um, The first one is one of my favorite authors is Malcolm Gladwell. He's the editor-in-chief for New Yorker Magazine, speaker and author. And uh, his latest book is called The Outlier. And the whole point of the book is that there's no such thing as an outlier. That if you really understand greatness, at the center of the story of that greatness is serendipity. Factors beyond anyone's control. So you can read lots of chapters of stories about that. Second example, author Chris Anderson. He analyzes football for a living, and he says, I know players think they're great. I know when there's a draft pick and people are uh, making draft picks, they like to think they're able to predict the future performance of these players, so they they pay big money for these players. But if you analyze the facts... It really is luck. And he says football is a game of luck. And the third example, Eugene Fama, a professor and researcher at the University of Chicago, uh, studied for 12 years, actively managed portfolios, funds. And you know what his conclusion is? And this is published uh, in Forbes and in uh, separate research. He says the key ingredient... In actively managed funds are not the managers. I know we'd like to think otherwise, but he says it's luck. Now, you think you like luck you like grace i like to believe i love unconditional love i like to say that that's that's one of the longings of my heart to be loved without condition that i can't fail somebody they will be good to me in spite of myself but in reality i hate grace you hate grace do you know this do you know why because you love control And grace is an indictment. It means you don't deserve anything. It means that you can't earn anything. And we don't like that. We want some semblance of control. We want to participate. We want to do our part. Oh my goodness. One of the things I've learned about Northwest culture is y'all love to write thank you notes. Can you please stop that? I don't know what to do with them afterwards. And it seems like such a waste of resources. But I think part of it is we have a need to say thank you and acknowledge grace. Because we don't know what to do with grace. It's very uncomfortable if somebody just gives to us. It's so foreign and alien. We just have to let me write a card. That anxiety comes out in some way. And if you're honest, if you're honest with yourself or you have an honest moment, you'll realize you really feel uncomfortable when things are out of your apparent control. And grace is just that somebody loving you because they are loving, not because you're lovable. But I do, I do want to be lovable. And then here we have the last prediction, verse 24 to 25. But for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Here's the prediction. Life will follow a pattern after Jesus' own life. That is life, death, and resurrection. Life, death, resurrection. And you will see that if you get married, you're all excited and there's life energy, libido, and then confusion and frustration. And then you die. <laughs> and then you live. And then you live to a marriage you never imagined that you certainly don't deserve. And then you have kids, life, energy. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to do it better. And then disappointment and shock and horror. And then you die. (laughs) And then resurrection, because you discover you thought you were going to influence your kids and you were going to change them. But they're going to change you forever. And then as you grow old and you feel the frustrations and limitations of your body. And you begin to die. But in that death, God raises you up. And studies show the happiest decade of our life is after we turn 60. Because we're finally, after six decades, at peace with some parts of ourselves. Life, death, resurrection. I have three application points, and then we're going to baptize. The first is application point is baptism. What is baptism? Why do we do this silly thing? Because that's our public way of declaring that we accept this pattern of Jesus for ourselves. And we acknowledge that we will live or try, and then we will die. And then we are raised up anew. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead Will come into our bodies and our lives and raise us up. That's the first application point. Second is for our church and for me and for the staff. Now, what did you think you were going to get when you hired me as your senior pastor? What did you expect? I'm urban, I'm Asian. Mostly uh, third culture, church planner. This is a predominantly white church. Is that what, what did you think? How did that math work in your mind? <laughs> of course, there's going to be a clash. And of course, we are going to try to live. And then our human hopes are going to be put to rest. And then God is going to raise us up. What did I expect? There is no way I can experience life and success here unless I'm willing to die. All of my thoughts, my math has to die. And it's going to be a process. But God has to do that in order to raise me up as a kind of leader and pastor. I need to be for this church that I could not predict. And so together we will die. And together we will live. And I had this one thought that really comforted me. I want to do this with you all. It is my heart's desire to die with you all so that we can experience life together as a family. I'm so thankful that we get to do that. Now I was thinking about my poor staff. You know, I was thinking about Brent, 20s, young, idealistic, thinking he's going to be the youth pastor. Boy, is he in for it. We know this, right? We've seen youth pastors come and go. He's going to have to die. We're going to kill him. And then God is going to raise him up. And that's going to be beautiful. He's going to grow up right before our eyes. We're going to love on Brent and Eva in a way they've never been loved on before. But he will be broken. What about poor kevin with all of the ceo and missionary experience he comes hailing to us from south america and and he's we're going to kill him <laughs> we are going to disappoint him we're going to frustrate him and life is not going to make it easy but god has a plan for his life here and he's going to die can I be born and poor Julie going from children's ministry to executive pastor poor Chris being bounced around all over the place and he got himself engaged now and boys he in for it <laughs> and Christine never having done children's ministry before taking it on have you been upstairs it is incredible what she has done right but boy is she dying <laughs> but that's the will of God that's the pattern of Jesus. And I want to remind you this morning that you will be broken, you will be surprised, and you will die. And you will swear there is no hope. And in that state of considering your bodies as good as dead, God is going to raise you up. Amen? You receive it? Amen.